Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back at it again. Triple Threat Theater, Episode 8. Yeah, boy. I'm Joe Daxberger. I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy, we're back. Mm Mm-hmm. And boy... Have we done it this time? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, would this be the most obscure batch of films we've done yet? Hands down. By possibly a... the most obscure batch in the entire list of movies to come as well. Yeah, maybe. This one's a little bit eccentric. Um, mm, this A little? <laughs> Uh, this theme was my idea, but even long before I came up with this theme for this podcast, you better believe that I had all three of these films downloaded or on a hard drive just waiting for me to never watch them someday. Mm-hmm. So, Locked away in the catacombs. Yeah. Uh, waiting. I'm glad that this episode came about so quick so that I could watch them. Mm-hmm. So the theme for this episode is Maxploitation, which is, which is a name that I got from a letterboxed list by another user named Mike Sean, who, uh, when I found that list, I was smitten with it immediately. And his, the, <laughs> li- the list was called Mad Maxploitation, Pounding Sand in the Post-Apocalypse. Yeah. And it's a list of like 40-something movies, which were largely Italian knockoffs of Mad Max. Um, similar to the way that, you know, the uh, there was the Italian Policio Teschi craze, which coincided, I believe, with like the Dirty Harry movies, and okay. was the Italians making just like a ton of like cheesy, you know, badass cop movies, like cops mm-hmm. who go too far, or you know, you had the um, classic American westerns, which then spawned the whole spaghetti western craze, right? And this is a much lesser known version of that, where. Mad Max was a popular uh, movie franchise at the time when they originally came out. And, uh, you know, just taking a bunch of old vehicles, slapping some, like, scrap metal on them, and then putting, like, hunky guys in, you know, partially clothed in leather and having them drive Mm -hmm. around in the desert where you don't have to pay for sets or anything. It was a pretty easy way to make a movie. Yep. If you grab, like, I don't know. 77 Cadillac, <laughs> you know, weld a chain link fence over the windshield, put some doodads, maybe some spikes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. a lot of spikes. Gotta like, have some spikes. We'll say a lot of spikes. And, you know, find some find some rural desert. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, no one's going to come around to ask if you have a permit. Permit, what's that? <laughs> Get a bunch of random actors to play bad guys who are willing to be paid to wear like assless chaps and shit and ride around on motorcycles mm-hmm. and yeah roll around on the ground sold and you're good to go so this this uh this episode is three films that were at least partially inspired or knocked off of uh the Mad Max movies let me ask a question uh-huh well Mad Max is an Australian movie yep. correct mm-hmm 
were all because there's what three original ones. Yeah, Mad Max, The Road Warrior, and Beyond Thunderdome. So, were those all Australian productions? Do you know? I believe they were. The first one was real. Well, the first one was like under the radar, but then became popular, and that's what made the other one so big. Yeah, the first one. I mean, I don't know the the full details of it, but the first one, you know, came out and was like a surprising success, and you know, a relatively simple movie uh, that took the like independent or exploitation film world by storm. And then the road warrior came out. I'm not sure how soon after, which was like even better. Like, have you seen any of those films? All those films? I've only seen Thunderdome, but I don't remember much from it. <laughs> really? Oh, you got to see uh, road warrior. Um, the original Mad Max I like, but I think it's a little dry and slow, but mm-hmm. uh road warrior honestly is like Mad Max Fury Road is like the big budget Hollywood remake kind of of The Road Warrior. Okay. Um, not in the same exact like subject matter, but Road Warrior is pretty much, you know, Mel Gibson happens upon this little uh, desert enclave and it's these people who are trying to protect themselves and their gasoline from uh, like a roving band of assholes who ride around on motorcycles and like crazy post-apocalyptic cars and like barely wear any clothes and have crazy mohawks and stuff mm-hmm. and then similar to uh fury road at like at the end of the film after they have tried and failed to like protect themselves they decide okay we need to take all of the gasoline we can fit in this tanker truck and get the hell out of here and the big climactic ending of the movie is one big chase scene with all of these like biker gang guys storming and chasing down this one tanker truck. And there's like guys running along the top of it and all. So it's very much Fury Road just without like the stunts as crazy as Fury Road and without any CG or anything. So when you compare the two directly, it's pretty tame in comparison. But first time I saw Fury Road was probably when I, or first time I saw a road warrior rather, was probably when I was in high school and, you know, Fury Road was a long ways off. And I remember at the time being blown away by it and thinking that action scene at the end was awesome. So, yeah, the three movies we're going to be talking about are like the redheaded stepchildren of The Road Warrior, basically. It seems kind of random to make like a whole Italian subgenre of movies around Road Warrior or Mad Max in general. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, obviously but, other inspiration in some of these as well. Like, well, the Warriors is, is a big one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially in one of the movies we're going to talk about. But I really do think it was just like, like people, like independent or low budget film directors saw, hey, George Miller made a movie that people really liked and was really successful with a pretty low budget. And like the things we mentioned, like get yourself some mm-hmm. old cars for cheap and get yourself some, you know, stuntmen and get yourself a desert location that no one's going to charge yeah. you for. And some old fencing. Yeah. You're good. So. Well, I mean, if they make it look easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the movies may or may not be any good. Um I mean, well, this true. is, we only picked three. I, I just chose three random ones. Like I looked at the list and I was like, I know I have some of these on my hard drive. So I picked three of the random ones that I knew I had. Perfect. Um, I, I didn't delve any deeper into the decision-making process in that, but, um, you know, if this episode's better, successful, we could always do another one yeah. with three more. You never know. Well, I was going to say for better or for worse, you picked 
three winners. <laughs> Glad to hear, though I'm not sure if there's a, a hint of sarcasm in your voice or mm. not. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get into the nitty gritty? Sure. I'll, really quick before we actually start reviewing them, I'll just say that the movies we are going to be talking about are 1990 The Bronx Warriors, Exterminators of the Year 3000, and Endgame. What's your favorite name out of the three? Oh, Endgame's kind of generic. Sure. I like Exterminators of the Year 3000, but that title, 1990, The Bronx Warriors, is a great name. I got to agree. Yeah. Seems like a random time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those cases of the movie was made in 1982. This is the first one we're going to talk about, so why don't we just go ahead and talk about 1990, The Bronx Warriors, from the year 1982. Sold. And... You wanted to leave me? Yes. Why? Why, Anne? Because now I'm sure I'm the cause of all these killings. And if I stay, there will be a lot more. Nonsense. We were born dead. Life means nothing. We live with death every single day. Death walks with us. Death rides and sleeps with us. We carry its smell under our skins. So don't go blaming yourself. So this is a clear case of, like, you know, the year 1990 seemed probably like (laughs) the distant future in 1981 Mm -hmm. or whenever they were filming it. Right. And in retrospect, yeah, now that we're, what, good Lord, almost 30 years past it, yes. it seems ridiculous. But also, you know, um, who would have guessed in the early 80s that, uh, like, New York City would be, you know, cleaned up and modernized the way that it has been? Sure. Because um, at the time, Especially... you know, any any movie you watch that takes place in New York City in, like, the 70s or the early 80s, you know, if people are in Times Square and it's just like porno theaters everywhere and everything's all mm-hmm. grungy and gross. So. And, I mean, if they're, with this movie, they did film in the Bronx or Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. There's some streets that certainly look bombed out. Yeah, for sure. So. I mean, you'll see like a block that just has like one or two bare, like shitty, bombed out looking cement, like old apartment buildings or something. And then just mm-hmm. empty lots filled with trash. And. Considering that this is a low-budget movie, um, you know that they probably just, you know, filmed a bunch of stuff without permission. And there was one scene in particular, uh, I don't remember exactly when, some somewhere in the middle of this movie where um, I think one or two guys on motorcycles are chasing somebody. And in the background, um, you can see there's like a basketball court. Like right behind the guy on the motorcycle in the shot, there's just like a pile of rubble and like wood and tires <laughs> and shit, just like a mm-hmm. fucking trash dump in a vacant lot. And then in mm-hmm. the distance behind that, you see a basketball court and there's a bunch of like young guys playing basketball. And I'm right. sure that was just dudes who lived there playing basketball in the background mm-hmm. of the shot. 100%. And yeah, it's it's weird to look at and see because... <laughs> It really is like you look across the bridge to Manhattan and it looks like Manhattan. <laughs> right. And then you look at where they're filming and it's just a dingy, disgusting mess. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty accurate. One, well, 
Nilsie, will you give a synopsis of this movie, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, so this this is the one of the three that really is more of a Warriors-inspired movie than Mad Max. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it has little elements of Mad Max to it, but uh, so this one is about a uh, a gang, like a motorcycle gang. It's basically just like how in the Warriors, there's all of these different eccentric gangs, and they each have their own territory. And if like one gang wanders into the other one's territory, it's just gang war. It's kind of the same thing here, and the main gang that we follow are called the Riders, and they basically look like bikers with like a lot of black leather, mm-hmm. and they all ride around on motorcycles with skulls on the front. Yep. <clears throat> well, like glowing skull orbs Yeah. that like sit above the handlebars, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. And in the beginning of the movie, there's a scene where it almost looks like a weird animation, but I guess it's supposed to be... Like that skull on the front of the bike is supposed to kind of like in the comic books, uh, Spider-Man's belt that like shines a Spider-Man face symbol mm-hmm. on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to like be a skull on the front of the bike that shines a skull shape on a wall, which I don't think would really make sense. But no. Um, so, yeah, the basic premise of this one is that uh, a 17 year old girl, like, you know, kind of spoiled rich girl. uh lives in Manhattan and her father owns, I think it's called the Manhattan Corporation, which they say in the movie uh, makes like 60% of the world's arms or something like that. And she essentially um, would, like she's going to inherit the company at some point when she turns 18, I guess. And she doesn't want any part of it because they make weapons that like hurt people and all. So she pulls a Tony Stark and decides she doesn't want any part of it. And she just flees from like, nice upscale Manhattan to the Bronx, which is just falling a fucking part. Within minutes of getting there, uh, she's attacked by a gang of like roller hockey guys called the zombies. The best looking roller hockey gang you can think of. <laughs> With like big crazy shoulder pad things that they wear and goofy helmets. I mean, not even hockey sticks. They're like silver can giant candy cane shaped <laughs> sticks. Yeah. Like hooked sticks. And like bright Amazing. yellow or bright neon green wheels on the roller skates. And so she's rescued by members of the riders, the rival gang, and then basically a, a romance quickly blossoms between her and the uh the hunky leader of the riders who is named Trash. Which let me tell you. <laughs> But far and away, one of my favorite leading man names ever. Well, as you and I both know, at some point we will encounter another person, another character in this podcast that is named Trash. But we'll get to that in a bit. (laughs) Trust me. A lot of excitement rang through this house when I found out not one, but two Trash characters. (laughs) Literally Trash characters. (laughs) Um. So yeah, then uh, she like she begins a romance with uh, the with trash, and just wants to leave her life of glitz and glamour behind and live with him on the streets because, even though she abhors violence and doesn't want uh, to be involved with this company that makes weapons, she's fine like dating and like being the matriarch of a biker gang, <laughs> right? In like That's this crazy just... city that she lives in. Which is basically just the Bronx, and they say that the cops just don't come there anymore. It's war-torn. Yeah, actually, I have have written down here the actual opening text of the movie. Uh, Oh, hit it. In the year 1990, the Bronx is officially declared no man's land. The authorities give up all attempts to restore law and order. From then on, the area is ruled by the riders. 
So the movie mm-hmm. starts with that text, and then you're just off and away. And if you're not pulled in by that, I don't know what will. Yeah. And I mean, if, if not that, the actual opening credits of this movie might be my favorite part of the film. Um, where it's just like black screen and then you get like close up shots of like a skull ring or like a hand with a, mm-hmm. a studded leather glove or mm-hmm. a hand holding like a trench knife with like the little f- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like finger rings that go around your fingers or like a, a boot knife and mm-hmm. it's great and with just like bold white text of all the names next to them and like a shitty like synth rock song playing. Full disclosure. Uh huh. These three movies, mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> Fair. This would not be a trifecta that I would pick. Mm-hmm. But as you know, I'm all the way ready for it. Yep. This movie in particular, I'm getting ready. I'll say this is the second one I watched of the three. Mm-hmm. This one, you know, I'm getting ready. It's queued up. It's on Amazon Prime of all places. And it looks pretty good, honestly, the, the version it they does. have on there. It does. I get through those opening credits. I see that trench knife. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'm ready for this. Within three minutes, the weirdo skate hooligans show up. I said, yes, I'm very much ready for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they get you right off the bat. Um, they sure do. But, uh, yeah, I, this is the last one that I watched. I guess I'll say I know I know the answer to this already. You've never seen any of these before, yes? Correct. I saved this one for last because I thought I had seen it before. But actually, I had seen the sequel to this, which is called Escape the Bronx, because they mm. they did it on an episode of MST3K. Yes. So I thought I had seen this, but I had not. So this is the first time we're reviewing three movies that neither of us have seen. Oh, yeah. Look at that. So Go team. Um, but to really quickly get through the rest of the plot synopsis, because I still haven't done that yet. Um, basically, her, the girl who ran away from home... Her father is like, I want her back no matter what. So he hires a mercenary who grew up in the Bronx but then left. And now he's a police officer but also mm-hmm. a mercenary on the side. Mm-hmm. And he, on the side. his name is Hammer. <laughs> yes. And so the girl's dad who runs this arms company sends him into the Bronx to basically – You'd think just like try and extract the girl, like that would be the safest thing to do, but no. Sure. The dude wants his daughter so back that Hammer is going to go in and start a gang war between all the mm-hmm. gangs. So I guess they kill all of each other off and then he can just He's... swoop in and get the girl back or something? Millsy, you want your daughter back, you send a message. <laughs> and when Hammer shows up masquerading as the post office. <laughs> yeah, looks completely again. out of place. He's like a normal looking mailman, but in like this bombed out city. I stopped. I I pressed pause. Got me some popcorn because I was very much ready. <laughs> and he's walking around as the postman carrying that bag, and he's got like that big mm-hmm. poster tube sticking mm-hmm. out. And even like long before he actually reveals that there's a shotgun inside, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> "There's a bazooka in there, or something." Yeah. Like he's he's yes. totally going to shoot someone through the end of that poster tube, and then he mm-hmm. totally does. He's yeah, got. I was a, like, "There's there's a harpoon gun in there." <laughs> You know, there's like a, a taser. I mean, there's going to be something good in that tube. Yeah, he's got like a finger hole cut in the side so he can reach in and oh, hit the yeah. trigger on the shotgun. They went they went to all the trouble to make sure they cut out that nice little, mm-hmm. you know, door for him to get his hand in. Yeah. So good. But I just, I mean, you know, it's it's 1990 The Bronx Warriors. Uh, but I, I am amazed that that was their plan. We're going to start a gang war. And that is mm-hmm. somehow going to allow us to save the daughter. 
Um, well, you cause mass confusion, Millsy. Get in, get out. I guess. But I mean, Hammer clearly was a master of the trade. Oh, surely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what you do when you're a mercenary is you stand and you laugh as people die until someone shoots you in the chest with a harpoon gun. <laughs> or a grappling gun, rather. <laughs> A grappling gun that came from nowhere. Yeah. Oh, can I? We. I mean, I already just talked about it, so we might as well skip to the very end of the movie because Please. one of the best endings of a film of all time. The M- Millsy <laughs> hands down. <laughs> just amazing. Uh, just a flaming wreckage of a room where a gang war was just taking place. Uh, Hammer is standing there in his like mercenary gear, just laughing at the chaos. It's, well, it's even like mercenary cop gear. Yeah, exactly. Because he is well, a cop. Which you gotta, don't don't forget, he's there along with his uh, flamethrower wielding police brethren, who are all on horseback. Yeah. Yes. Just there to burn <laughs> the gangs. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, trash amidst the flames <laughs> <laughs> takes off his. His uh, like leather vest he'd been wearing the whole time picks up mm-hmm. a grappling gun, shoots Hammer in the chest with the grappling gun, ties the rope to the back of his bike, and then drags mm-hmm. him out yes. of the building on the harpoon or on the the grappling yes. hook. And then the film literally ends with a freeze frame of him driving down the street, <laughs> dragging Hammer behind him <laughs> on the motorcycle. Cue the credits, oh. and it's hilarious because it's not even like. It's almost like they ran out of film at that very point because he's only like a quarter of the way on the screen. Yeah. And it just stops. And then credits. I couldn't believe that. Oh, I couldn't either. And you would think you haven't seen any level of like maniacal laughter until you've seen Hammer just howling through this building at people being burned today. <laughs> yeah, he's never been happier in his life than watching mm-hmm. police on horseback torch a bunch of man of gang members with flamethrowers. I'll say this about this movie and all three of them really. I was kind of surprised at how like lengthy some of the action scenes are. Mhm. I mean, each of the movies are only about an hour and a half anyways. Yeah. But they're like long drawn out action scenes, which, you know, I'm not complaining because that's probably what should be in these movies. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what they're they're going to draw yeah, people that's their in whole with, point. So. so it was great. And it also was a case, all these action scenes, like one thing you do have in like, obviously Fury Road in a big way, but also the Road Warrior, is you have uh, like cause and effect in your action scenes and like A leads to B leads to C. These are pretty much, okay, we see a gang of these guys, a gang of those guys and cops, say, in this example. Mm-hmm. And then we just show random acts of yes. violence oh for like God. five minutes and that comprises the action scene it's not like following a character as they're trying to achieve a goal throughout yeah. the chaos it's just you know cut to this guy Straight getting hit with a flamethrower cut to that guy getting shot in the face cut to <laughs> the fucking chick dressed up like the black queen from uh the x-men mm. comics like th- like throwing a whip around a guy's throat on horseback and dragging him off and breaking his neck like just <laughs> It's so accurate that it really is that there's no like narrative to the action. It's just like yeah, director is just like okay, everyone, uh, run around circles. That crazy. <laughs> and then he's just saying like okay, like did you notice how many shots there were um, to show people catching on fire because they obviously didn't want yes. to uh, like set a bunch of people on fire. They would have 
it looked like a uh, a guy on horseback with a flamethrower in the background uh, and probably a big sheet of glass in front of him. Yes. And then an actor closer to the camera. So the flamethrower guy would shoot the flames directly at the glass and then the actor would just like reel back as though he just got shot Mm -hmm. in the face. Nothing actually catches on fire. (laughs) Because it certainly showed like like a widespread effect of the fire hitting something. So it, it had to have been that. Um, cause that all they had in the budget was either that or actually lighting people on fire. And there was one part towards the end of that final action where, uh, a guy on horseback shoots a flamethrower at trash. And, um, mm-hmm. but this was mm-hmm. a shot where like the flame is coming in from off the side of the camera and, uh, there must've been a giant sheet of glass there because you could actually see the reflection of the fire behind the actual fireball in, mm-hmm. but in front of trash, um, but, you know, whatever. It's 1990 Bronx Warriors. Right, yeah. But, there will yeah. be no complaints here. It's still the police fighting gangs with flamethrowers. And, like, the gangs have, I don't know, sticks and knives. And all the uh, the riders have that weird kind of spiked billy club thing. I actually really liked that thing as, like, a oh, weapon yeah, design. Sure. It's different. I've never really seen something like it before. Mm-hmm. It's, like, and, probably, what, like a three-foot-long staff, like a like a black wooden staff like think of yeah like a cane yeah like if you start with a cane but without like the the handle on the end and then one end of it is just it just comes out to this like fine silver point that's like eight inches long and -hmm. you could just you know you could just fucking stab the shit out of people with that thing yeah It, it gets thrown like a harpoon a couple times yeah and then, like around that end that has the uh, the the point, it's got all these little—I don't even know what to describe them as—like nubs, yeah, like spike. Where it not looks even like you could spiky nubs, but yeah, where it looks like you could use it as a bludgeoning weapon and really fuck some people up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just as a unique design I haven't seen before. I actually really liked that thing, whatever the hell it I is. Too. This was um, switching gears a little. Did you how? noticeable was the dubbing to you in all not just this movie all three but because it seemed like at times the people were speaking english but it was still dubbed so this is something that i actually talked with jesse about on sidetracked not too long ago because as we record this i have been uh watching through my 44 spaghetti western dvd box set that i bought uh, a couple of months ago and uh you know those all being italian films as well um, from what I understand, lower budget films in like the 70s and even into the 80s, a lot of times to save budget, they would film but not record audio while they were filming and then do all the dubbing after the fact. And oh, that's, really? yeah, just because it was cheaper that way, I guess, just to record in a sound studio instead of trying to record the audio, especially if you're like a low budget film crew and you're filming like in the desert or something where it might be windy mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, oh, wow. like, even if you were, like, a low-budget, like, English-language film, you might film with no audio and then dub it in later so that even though mm. the, the actors were speaking the same language on set, the it's not lined up quite right. And I feel like all three of these movies, there was at least the majority of the dialogue seemed to be in English. I mean, there were definitely times where it wasn't, and that was yeah. clear. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was kind of, like... By the third one, especially, I was like, damn, I was like, what is with these movies? Because that guy is certainly speaking English, but it does not sound right. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad to know that you 
got to the bottom of that. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that that was the case with all three of these because at all times uh, you could tell it was dubbed even when it didn't yeah. necessarily need to be, but it was a money saving mm-hmm. thing. So makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's briefly touch on the actual gangs and uh, what they are and who they are. Okay. Uh, so we got the riders who are the biker gang, which is the main group. Then we have the zombies, which we've already mentioned, who are the crazy roller hockey gang mm-hmm. who seem to operate entirely out of one tunnel. Uh, right. Because that's like the only lot, place we ever a, see them. Well, also, just real quick about this movie is part of its financing, because it was an Italian film, half had to be half of it had to be filmed in Italy. Yep. And half was able to be filmed in the Bronx. Yeah. So, so I think that's where all the tunnels go. All the interiors, yeah, all the tunnels and the ruins and everything, that was probably all filmed in Italy. Mm-hmm. And then all of the exterior, which is a fair amount of. Um, oh, sure. And gives the film like a little bit of a, like, you know, a little bit of credence toward their. Authentic vibe. Yeah. Um, And then you have the Scavengers is another group that we see who also right. reside in tunnels. And they scurry around like they are physically incapable of straightening their legs. Like they're always mm-hmm. crouched. <laughs> they wear weirdos. tattered rags and they have like white face paint and they grunt kind of like gorillas. And their primary weapons seem to be sharpened pieces of two by four that they find lying around. <laughs> right. Because like when they gang up on that one member of the riders and then he comes stumbling out of the hallway, he's just got like two fucking two by fours sticking out of his back. Yeah. It was hard to tell. I was like, are those bowling pins or something? I was like, what they stick him with? But yeah, yeah just loose trash in the in the in the uh, catacombs. Yeah, um, we've got the tigers who are the uh, are Fred uh, Williamson's gang. Oh, Millsy. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you how excited I was when I saw Fred Williamson from was out here in the streets? Fred Williamson from uh, about eight hundred black exploitation movies. I only know him from Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. Which I was, I can even remember thinking back then, like, he must be someone, but I wasn't quite sure. And then I've never seen him in anything else until this. <laughs> that may be his most mainstream film, to be completely well, honest. Be. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, he was in MASH, the original movie uh, oh. from 1970. And you know how everybody on that show or movie had a nickname? Yes. Uh, he had the unfortunate nickname of Spear Chucker. <laughs> oh, I saw in the credits, uh, you know, a different time, but still, that's pretty rough. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, did a ton of of uh, black exploitation movies. Um, I recently saw him in a movie called Three the Hard Way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's just a uh, he's just one of those guys who's just like cheesing it up all the time. But I love seeing him. He's got such charisma. Yeah, he shines bright in this movie. Yeah, and I so he's. He plays kind of like, he calls himself the king of the gangs. So I guess like Mm -hmm. the tigers are in charge of everything. It seems like they're pretty decadent. And, you know, even though he lives in like a, a big, like abandoned rubble filled building, Mm uh, you know, everybody dresses nice in his gang. They all, basically his whole gang dresses like pimps. Right. And drive hot rods. Yeah. And they have like a piano with like someone playing classical piano and everything (laughs) in their, Mm -hmm. in their gang, like hideout. Um, so they're called the Tigers. And then there's two others mentioned by name that 
we either never see or they don't specify who they are. Uh, they also mention the jackals and the shocks. And then the one other right. gang that we actually see, I don't remember them saying explicitly what their name is, so it could be one of those two. But they're only in one scene, and their theme is like off-Broadway production. Like <laughs> chorus line, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah. I barely even remember them, but yes. They're really in one scene where the characters, they basically uh, at the end of the movie, um, uh, she, uh, the, the main girl um, whose character's name is Anne, who like ran away from her father, she gets kidnapped and um, by one of the other gangs and uh, Trash and company have to basically go through all of the other gang territories to get to her. And so one of the territories they go through is they walk into this room that has like a bunch of pillars. And as they move into the room, guys in like bright, shiny, silver sequined costumes with canes and top hats and face paint, mm, like mm-hmm. spin out from behind the uh, the pillars in unison and do like tap dance moves. <laughs> right. And then there's like a little fight scene. And then this like the woman, the leader of the gang, the gang, this black woman comes out all in gold. And is like caressing Trash's exposed chest and basically is like, I like you, so I'll let you go. Yeah. Uh, and that's all the gangs we see, but so. What was uh, Fred Williams' name in this? The Ogre is what right, they called right. him. Yeah. It's full of good names. Got Trash, Ogre. Hammer. <laughs> Hammer. I mean, it's perfect. Um, the truck driver who teamed up with Hammer, his name was Hot Dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. There's a guy in this named George Eastman. We will talk about him more when we get to Endgame because he's a big character in that and he's hardly in this, but his name in mm-hmm. this was the Gollum. Right. Um, the member of the Riders who had glasses and kind of turned on trash at the end, his name was Ice. Correct. So, yeah. Which he was, he looked very much, he looked almost out of place. Oh, yeah. Well, he was actually a New York actor. Oh, okay. Well, even his character too, mm-hmm. but just his—he looked—he reminded me of from Forrest Gump, that hippie guy that Forrest beats up. Oh, yeah. That's not nice. To well, it's Jane. probably like, like his slightly like longer hair, thin frame, the, and the round the glasses. glasses. Yeah, it looked just like him. Mm-hmm. I can see that. While we're talking about the cast, uh, just a couple of fun little tidbits that I learned when I was looking these people up because I didn't know who most of them were. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main girl, Anne, is she acted in like nine or ten things, but she's mostly known as an assistant director. Oh. So she was assistant director on this and, among other things, the Super Mario Brothers movie and Empire Records. Interesting. Which I found fascinating. Mm-hmm. We already talked about Fred Williamson. Uh, the this is this is interesting. Uh, I always knew this story, but I didn't know who it actually was. But uh, Vic Morrow, the guy that plays Hammer, do you know who he is? He's very familiar, but no. So he was an actor going way back. His first movie was Blackboard Jungle in 1955. He was in other stuff like Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and another low budget horror film that I like a lot called Humanoids from the Deep. He's the father of Jennifer Jason Lee. And he is the actor who famously died on the set of the Twilight Zone movie in a helicopter crash. Oh, no way. He and like two kids, just a a helicopter went out of control and landed on them. 
What the hell? And that was like a big, a big deal, obviously, at the time. Sure. And it's one of those things where like, I feel like I heard about that for the first time when I was in like a freshman in high school or something. And I was like, what? That happened? And But that was him. Damn. That was Vic Morrow. Huh. So good in this. Yeah. Oh, God. He fits, fits the role so perfect. Just, I want an animated gif of his maniacal laugh at the end. <laughs> and I want that in regular rotation in the memes uh-huh. that I text to people <laughs> as reactions. You got it, champ. <laughs> and uh, the one other kind of noteworthy thing about this one is it's directed by a guy named... Uh, here's here's something. I'm going to mispronounce a ton of names on this show because there's a mm-hmm. lot of Italian people. <laughs> um. This was directed by a guy named Enzo G. Castellari, who most people would recognize the title The Inglorious Bastards because mm. he directed the original that uh, Quentin Tarantino took the name from. Right. Okay. But as with all the directors in this episode, they all did like a ton of spaghetti westerns and stuff. Oh, this guy directed sure, one sure. of the Django movies back in the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was one interesting tidbit uh, the guy who plays Trash. Oh, right. Has been missing for decades, Yeah, apparently. He made 11 movies between 1978 and 1989, and then has disappeared from the face <laughs> of the earth. Vanished. Um, and there is, I discovered this when I was doing some reading, that uh, there's a huge fan of these movies um, who runs a website devoted to them, and he made like a short documentary called like Searching for Trash, that's all about. That's <laughs> all about trying to figure out where what the hell happened to Marco Di Gregorio, the guy who played Trash. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing. Yeah, he was in this, the sequel, Escape from the Bronx. Um, he was in a series of movies called like Thunder, Thunder Two, Thunder Three, and a nice. couple of other things. Maybe I feel like every single person I looked up for this episode on IMDb, be it a director or an actor, had something to do with another movie just like this called Warriors of the Wasteland. Mm. Um, he might have been in that, but yeah, just disappeared. That is so weird. He flew too close to the sun. Yeah. Do you know he was only 17 when he made this? Oh, I did not know that. Now that you say it, I could see it, but I he's pretty never young he was looking. Young. But man, he's I mean, he's built for one thing. He's he's tall as shit. Yeah, too. and he's got that huge like eighties curly hair. Oh yeah. Um, and so apparently he was discovered. He was working out at a gym, and like the director saw him through the window and was like, <laughs> "Would you like to be in my movie?" Hey, that's all it takes, Mills. Yeah. Got to go to the gym more often. Maybe it'll turn yeah, into hey a man. career. <laughs> no, we've already discussed. You're going to be rewriting movies. That's right. I'm going to be a script doctor professionally. Mm-hmm. You and I have decided, I have. apropos of nothing. Right. But, uh, yeah, 1990 Bronx Warriors. Is there anything else to say? Not really. We covered a lot. Yeah. I was. I was. was. My most exciting part of this was Fred Williamson, though. Yeah. He's like the one, like... I mean, Vic Morrow, yes, but, uh, like, it's considering he died so long ago, um, and he was kind of from a, f- a previous era of films right. uh, that, like, we wouldn't be as familiar with. I feel like Fred Williamson is, like, the most recognizable face in any of the movies we watched. Yeah, I'd say so, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, actually, yeah. Think about Far and Away, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it comes down to him and Vic Morrow, but like I say, mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, Fred Williamson's just more recognizable to people mm-hmm. of our generation. 
Suave. Yeah. I loved it. All right. So shall we move on All to right. movie number two? Yes, please. Uh, so next up, we are going in chronological order. Of course. Uh, the next two both came out in 1983, but I did look up release dates, and this one came first. Mm-hmm. Um, about two okay. months before Endgame, we got Exterminators of the Year 3000. Listen, kid. Do you really know where to find water? Where? Is it far? Not very. To the west, is that right? No. To the east, then? Maybe. What's the matter? You don't trust me? Are you afraid I'll drink it all? My father died for that water. I've got to get there and fill a tanker somehow. There's a lot of people who are going to die if I don't. Okay. But if I take you, what's in it for me besides a day's outing? Perhaps the earth will blossom again one day, thanks to our water. And that'll be thanks to you, too. Isn't that enough? No. Not for me. You're a barbarian. That's the difference between you and me. Yeah, well, in this shit of a world, barbarians have to be around. And seeing that without me, you'd never get there and back alive, you should offer me something. I'll see you when we get there. All right, we'll leave it at that. Damn you and the moment I met you. Now let's get going. Come on. Okay. The most far and away blatant ripoff of Mad Max. Oh, yeah, I would say. Because, I mean, uh, at least Road Warrior is all about, uh, like, gasoline. Everybody wants gasoline. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, in Fury Road, it's all about, like, gasoline and water. And this movie is about a society that's barely scraping by in the post-apocalypse, and they're trying to get water to survive. And Never everyone's that fighting over water. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like one of the biggest problems with this movie is that the title is Escape from Escape or uh, Exterminators of the Year 3000. I feel like it would have made much more sense kind of in line with what we were talking about 1990 Bronx Warriors if it was called Exterminators of the Year 2000. Mm-hmm. Because 3000 is a pretty big fucking stretch for It is. Like they're still driving cars from the 1970s <laughs> and they're in functioning right. order and I mean, anyone that knows cars know that 70s cars are thorough pieces of shit. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, I, if you you should probably shouldn't think about it as hard as I'm thinking about it, but uh, I feel like it should have been called Exterminators of the Year 2000. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> um, not that they, do they ever even mention the year? No, it's, I bet you anything that the title they just came up with after the fact, but oh, okay. still so it's a weird, weird I decision. I don't remember them mentioning it. Yeah, me neither. I mean, there's not a whole lot to it, but do you want to give us a synopsis no. for this one? Uh, like you said, it's, it's all about that water. Flat out, you see the movie opens with kind of like a big chase scene or a big, uh, I don't know if it's even just them driving around in circles in the, uh, out in the desert. <clears throat> but you meet, you meet, I guess, this is one of my notes. There's kind of not a main character. There is and there isn't. But at least one uh, one of the maybe two or three. Alien. He's got to be the main character, right? Because <laughs> uh, I feel like he goes missing for quite a stretch in the middle. Uh, I mean, are you talking about when he's trapped in the car? Yeah, just it just seems like... Or maybe it was just me. When he, when he came back later, I was like, oh yeah, him. Like it just had been a while <laughs> since he'd been on there. <laughs> well, here's the question. If Alien, another amazing name 
if mm. if he's not the main character, who is the kid? Well, no, I just I don't know if there's one sole main one. Is kind of what because the female like, lead doesn't come in until like the last oh. half hour of the movie. Our second trash. <laughs> yeah, also named trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched this one after Bronx Warriors. Yeah, so very excited for more trash. It's just a shame there was no name trash in Endgame. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, I mean, the synopsis of this one is more or less just kind of running around trying to catch water. And then the when the boy shows up, he well when they first show him, he had a, his father had gone out on a mission for water and went missing. Yep. Question mark. Mm-hmm. You see like the local kids giving him a hard time about it, saying he uh, ruined the mission and all that. You know, <laughs> Your dad's a jerk bullies. because he died trying to save us. <laughs> yeah, local jerks. It kinda, and then they end up kind of getting in cahoots as partners. It's even, even I'm thinking back, Millsy, I'm having a hard time remembering. Well, basically the movie opens with... Uh... Like you were saying, a little bit of a car action scene. Um, like a long one, like I was saying yeah. before, like the long, drawn-out scene. Yeah, because it's easy to just film cars speeding around in the sure. desert and then yeah. fill six doing minutes of fig- screen time. Doing figure eights and stuff. But so what I would call the main character, or at least the the leading man in the movie, his name is his character's name is Alien. He has like the souped-up, not even really, he, he's got a car. It doesn't look any more like incredible than any of the other cars. No. but it is like a giant old like plushy Cadillac. Yeah. But with like spikes and shit all over it mm-hmm. and like little like fence things over the tires, I guess to prevent like the little people popping f- his tires. That, yeah. He's got that kind of a uh, fancy like windshield with the shutters. Yeah. And then a camera and he does have mounted like, on. He does have like some kind of computer console on the inside too that shows like yeah, readouts never, and stuff. We never get enough of that. No. But uh, so like the, the movie starts with him um, he like he engages these these two other guys uh, in their car, kills them, and they had like a tank of water in the back of their car, and he's like stealing the water. Someone takes off with his car, so he takes their car of the guys he just killed, makes chase, and then ends up flipped upside down in a wreck, makes and chase. he's like caught trapped inside the car that's on top of him. Right, and that's when the kid shows up. Yeah, so then like we cut to. Um, this small group of people who are living in some kind of installation somewhere that, you know, they're trying to survive, they're trying to grow plants, but they're almost out of water. They've been sending people out to try and find water, and the kid's dad is one of these people who's disappeared trying to get water, probably killed by the bad guys of the movie who just, like, rove around and kill anyone they see. Mm -hmm. Um, So they send out one last mission to try and find water, and the kid stows away with them. And then when the bad guys roll up, and there's another decent length action scene, which is very similar to something like Road Warrior or a simple version of Mad Max Fury Road, where it's like uh, yeah. a bunch of like motorcycles and crazy desert vehicles chasing like a tanker truck. Right, exactly. Uh, the kid ends up being the only one alive, and he's wandering the desert and finds Alien trapped under the car and then helps him escape. And then through a series of events, maybe... the two of them begrudgingly team up because the kid claims to know where water is because right. the guys he was with when they were about to die were like, memorize where this water is and you can save mm-hmm. everyone. That was like the scene where I think where it makes me like forget Alien was even around because that that one like convoy scene is so long. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty early, though. I mean, it is. Then then I mean, once Alien gets teamed up with the kid, he's there most of the time. Right. 
But yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It's like Alien and the kid trying to get to the water. They get attacked by the bad guys, the leader of whom is called Crazy Bull and mm-hmm. looks very similar to the bad guy from Road Warrior. Um, he's wearing like kind of a, like a fur pelt costume. He's got mm-hmm. sh- a shaved head, maybe like a ponytail, and then he's got like some like symbols painted under one of his eyes or something. He's like a big thick dude just like the bad guy and – and he calls everyone mother grabbers. Yeah, mother grabbers. <laughs> That's weird to me. Because they drop F-bombs in this movie. Yeah. But he's very distinctly all about the mother grabbers. It makes you wonder if they weren't trying to like appease the censors, were exactly. they trying to create some kind of like, you know, future lingo? Like, uh, you know, like the whole thing in Fury Road where they spray the silver on their mouths and they never really explain why? Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, mother grabbers. I don't know. That's weird. Hmm. But yeah, a couple run-ins with them. And then out of the blue... Oh, okay, so here's a, here's a decent talking point. Hmm. So the kid gets captured by the bad guys yeah, along with I Alien. I know where you're going, <laughs> and it's the best part. Yeah, because this came f- way the fuck out of left field. Oh, um, God, yes. Alien is basically like, I'll tell you a secret if you give me a, a motorcycle and let me leave. So the bad guy's mm. given the bike, and he's like, the kid knows where water is. Bye. <laughs> and takes off. <laughs> just does a wheelie up the side of the hill, and he's out of there. Yeah. And so then they're going to, like, torture the kid and try and get him to tell him where the water is. And they're, they're basically going to draw and quarter him. Like, mm-hmm. they tie his limbs up to a couple of motorcycles. And you're thinking, like, oh, the kid's going to get saved in the nick of time. But no. They actually yank one of his fucking arms <laughs> off of the motorcycle. And that's when you learn that the kid for some reason, has, like, a biomechanical cybernetic arm. Yeah. They never really never really explain it. That the kid knew about the whole time, which makes me wonder why didn't right. the kid just lift the car off of Alien earlier in the movie yeah. instead of, like, giving him the jack? Well, because at that point I was like, did I miss the part where they said this kid's a robot? <laughs> no, I think they just I did said- that to surprise people and make it a little more sci-fi in the middle of the movie. Well, it worked because goddamn, I was like, holy shit, they ripped that kid's arm off. (laughs) And then they dragged his body away with the other motorcycle. Yeah. Good Lord. So then Alien comes in, saves the kid, and basically just puts the kid back on with, uh, puts his arm back on with uh, duct tape that he happened to have. Mm -hmm. As one does. And then he's like, we need to go see Papillon. Yeah, the astronaut. (laughs) Yeah. So they stroll through the desert, and this is when we meet the uh, the kindly older man. Like, gave me a very, like, Wilford Brimley in Hard Target vibe, personally. Ooh, nice callback. <laughs> and uh, so he's, like, a mechanical whiz that lives by himself in the desert. and He does try to shoot Alien in the face a couple times first. That's true. Um, and while they're there getting the kid's arm fixed, uh, it, uh, Alien discovers that his car that he lost early in the movie is here, and that's when Trash, the female lead, comes in. I guess they had some kind of relationship, her and Alien, in the past, and he, like, left her in the desert, and so she's mm-hmm. been pissed and, like, chasing him down ever since and stole his car. Exactly. And uh, and then they, they go for the water. They get a tanker, and they go for the water. And my question is, like, they treat th- that society of people that is almost out of water, um, they obviously don't live that far from where the water is. I want to know... Mm-hmm. A, like, did they not know where the water was until recently? If so, B, how did they find out where the water is? Because it's not like some, like, 
magical reservoir in a mountain or something. It's like at an installation where they have like a giant drill and a water pump. Fortunately, this is the very last movie to kind of pin, you know, pin any of that logic on. Yeah, I, I know, but I'm like, mm. it. The water doesn't seem that far away, like less than a day's drive. Yeah, like. Have they not ever gone there and gotten water before? Is that where they always got their water in the past, or did they just hear about this place? And if so, wouldn't they have better means of going and getting the water from there? And if they have, did they never run into, like, the crazy religious group of mutants that live there and, like, protect the water? Like, I have so many questions that go unanswered. Hold on. I can't type these questions fast (laughs) enough. I'm going to send production a letter. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they thought that far ahead for sure. Yeah, it's all pretty loose, but um, they they play fast and loose for sure. Yeah, the best the best parts of this one though are the the action scenes. There's a couple of good for car sure. flips and like people mm-hmm. falling off motorcycles and or dirt bikes, I guess. Yeah. And the uh, the kid uses his robot arm to basically throw a rock like a baseball through someone's face. <laughs> yeah, I did like that the kid a... with the like super arm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking if this movie had been popular, they could have made action figures where, like, you put stuff in his hand and then he would, like, fling it. What's the uh, bad guy's name? Crazy Bull. Guy? Yeah, our, um, Alien takes out Crazy Bull from about 30 feet out with a gunshot straight to the face, too. Mm-hmm. Where you're expecting, like, a big final showdown. Yeah. Nope. Kind of just pulls out his uh, kind of hand Solo looking gun. <laughs> yeah. Gives him the business. Mm-hmm. Be yeah, a decent action in this movie all around. Yeah, um, no, it was like uh, definitely a few shots of just ridiculous action mm-hmm. with uh, the loosest of plot in between. Yeah, just a lot of kind of Dukes of Hazard style cars flipping over and some slow mo, and that stuff was all pretty cool. Even though you could always tell there wasn't a driver in the car at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know that stuff's pretty entertaining. You're right that this one feels the most like a Mad Max movie. I thought it was weird that uh, they refer to the bad guys as exterminators or the exterminators. Mm -hmm. But then the main dude, Alien, also calls his car the exterminator. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did. That uh, doesn't make any sense. So I was was just, there was, as you can tell, there was parts where I was kind of, this one confused more than anything. Yeah. But then I was like, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Yeah, I think it it works because of its simplicity, but um sure. Yeah. But again, you're you're coming to this one expecting the action, and it does deliver there. Mhm. I mean, it's got the ridiculous dubbing. Yep. Of course. But of course. Just like the last one. Um and then and then in the end, Millsy, what happens? <laughs> so, the end of the movie, they get the tanker truck, uh Alien and Trash, and they go to this like this place, I don't know, some kind of facility where there's a drill and there's, like, easy access to water. And they have to fight some, like, mutant religious fanatics there to get the water and, like, escape some booby traps. Um, but then, so they have the tanker of water and uh, they get sidelined and they have, like, an action scene. And one of the bad guys empties the tanker of all the water. So the characters, after the action is all over, alien and trash and the kid. We're like, oh, well, we'll just go back to the the place where the water was and get more. And as they show up, the like crazy mutant cult people have decided, oh, now that this place isn't safe from outsiders, we'll blow it up and no one can have the mm-hmm. water. 
Mm-hmm. So another one that ends pretty fucking abruptly, the three characters like roll up on the place where they can get water. It explodes in front of them and all hope seems lost. And then it just starts to rain and they all like rejoice and fall to their knees, rubbing muddy water all over their faces. Yeah. And then the movie ends. Just when you think alien is crying tears of sadness. No, that's rain hitting his face out of nowhere. Yeah. So I don't know, a little bit of a cop out ending, maybe a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, because then, even then, I was like, wait, did that blowing up cause it to rain? I don't was think so. I think it's of, just, uh, yeah. you know. Was there some kind of uh, total recall, like, effect on the <laughs> environment here or something? I was like, what's going on? I think it's just Italian Mad Max ripoff uh, convenience <laughs> logic, personally. Yeah. If I had to and guess. Let me write that one down, too. That's good. <laughs> that should have been the name of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. This one is directed by a guy named Giuliano Carnameo, but he directed it under the name Jules Harrison. Of course he did. I discovered this in looking up all these movies and their directors that all of these guys went by different names all the fucking time for some reason. Um, Probably they're felons. (laughs) Maybe. Um, (laughs) If I had to guess. So, like I say, this guy went by Jules Harrison, but his standard... Uh, like pen name or whatever is Anthony Ascot, which okay. is an interesting name. Um, he mostly directed spaghetti westerns. Um, you may recall that not too long ago, your friend and mine, uh, Joel, bought a uh, box set from Arrow Video of uh, five movies in the Sartana franchise. Mm. Um, I don't remember that. Yeah, it's like kind of like Django, how there's a whole bunch of Django movies. There's like five movies based around, five or six based around a character named Sartana. This okay. guy directed four of those movies. Mm. And then uh, I mentioned that 44 film Spaghetti Western box set that I have. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the ones I just watched recently was called They Call Him Cemetery, and that was also directed by this guy. Oh, that's a good name. <laughs> so that's the only, the only connection I really have to this dude. Aside from now, Exterminators of the Year 3000. Did the Spaghetti Westerns come before these ones? Are those like late 60s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that stuff all came around the same time as like, uh, well, even earlier than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly sometimes. But um, Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you had like the primo stuff, like the ones directed by Sergio Leone and one or two other guys. And then right. all of the lower budget ones. And there are a bazillion of them. We Endless. could we could do a pot like a weekly podcast where we we review uh, like five spaghetti westerns on an episode, and it could last probably over five years. There are so give, fucking many. Don't give me any ideas, Mills. <laughs> We've got our hands full already. <laughs> I still have a lot of movies left on that forty-four film box set to get through. I'm sure. Um. So as far as the cast is concerned in this one, the lead or the guy who plays Alien, his name is Robert Iannucci. Uh, despite being a, like arguably the main character in this, he was only ever in two other things. He had a small part as a Calvin Klein model in a parody of uh, doctor dramas called Young Doctors in Love in 1982, Oof. Uh, which was a year before this. And then all the way in the year 2000, he was in one episode of a show called 18 Wheels of Justice. Oh, really? Yeah. like I've heard of that. I'd never heard of it, but how the hell does that happen? You're in two movies in 1982, and then all of a sudden you're in 
uh, uh, an episode of a show in the year 2000. That's hard living, Mills. <laughs> Either that or like he had a kid and his kid got on that show. He's like, Dad, do you want to show up as a player <laughs> one day on 18 Wheels of Justice? And he said, yes. <laughs> Just amazing that people weren't knocking down his door to put him in movies after this came out. Oh, sure. Um, the uh, The woman who played Trash, her name is Alicia Morrow. Uh, she'd been in a couple things. The only one I recognized is an 80s uh, horror movie called Slugs, which I believe Slugs. yeah, I believe Arrow Video put out a, uh, a release of that as well. Of course they did. Basically just fucking killer slugs. Like back in the days mm-hmm. when in the 80s, people were just picking any animal that they could and turning them into like a horror movie villain. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you had like Squirm, which was about worms, and you had Night of the Lepus, which might have even been in the 70s, but <laughs> that was about bunny rabbits, like rabbits, Yikes. but they were like killer rabbits. Of course. Um, there was, uh, there's one, uh, what's it called? Deadly something? Uh, Deadly Inheritance? Is, there's a movie with uh, Peter Weller where he fights like an evil rat. There's there's just a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was presumably one of those. Um, All right. Future episode, perhaps? Oh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid who played Tommy, um, he's about 50 years old now. He's still acting here and there, not in anything amazing. Um, honestly, his biggest role aside from this was two years earlier, he was in a Lucio Fulci horror movie called City of the Living Dead, which I have seen. Um, and is pretty good. It's about a it's about a priest who hangs himself, which then opens a door to hell. Oh, good to know. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's really all there is to say about the cast of this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just again, all of the people in this, for the most part, were in a ton of spaghetti western movies. Yeah, they're like, hey, we're gonna switch it up this week. Yeah, got you on a Mad Max ripoff. <laughs> Yeah, we're still going to be in the desert, but instead of horses, yeah. you're going to be driving around in crazy decked out cars with spikes and... You mother grabbers. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know the reasoning behind that, Oof. mother grabbers. I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <coughs> well, uh, anything else about Exterminators of the Year 3000, Ooh, no. or is it time to move on? I literally think we've covered it all. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I watched this one, this was the first one I watched, I feel like I really enjoyed it. And then I feel like as we're talking about it, there's nothing to say about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I must agree. Like, e- there's not, there's not much to say. Yeah. It's it's really all about like the the fun action scenes with like yeah. all the car crashes and stuff. You could say this about plenty of movies, but I'll lump this in with it that you just gotta watch this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this unfortunately was the only one that I could not find available to watch online. Hmm. It is. You can rent it. Oh, you can. It's it's rentable on Amazon. Oh, okay. Just not. Uh, I guess free for Prime members would be uh, ideal. Ni- yeah, nineteen ninety. The Bronx Warriors and Endgame are both available if you have Prime. Mm-hmm. So definitely catch up with these after you listen to the show. Yes. <clears throat> I'd love to know if anyone's seen these. <laughs> I really would. Yeah. Please write to us. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Um. So finally, uh, third film, Endgame, came out about two months after Exterminators of the Year 3000 in 1983. Endgame is here again. 
That great international sport, a grand tradition since it was started back in 2012, can be followed on your video contactors in any corner of this planet. The zone chosen for the event lies between 22nd and 33rd Street in the port area. The game is slated to start in about 20 minutes and will end at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. The three hunters will therefore have 12 hours to track down their prey. In this case, Ron Shannon. Now, this is the seventh time that Endgame champion Shannon has volunteered to be the prey after competing successfully 22 times as the hunter. Although Shannon is reputed to be unbeatable, the odds are slightly against him, maybe because luck eventually runs out for everyone, even for one of the game's all-time greats. Each player is allowed to carry one firearm and two other weapons of his own choice. Anyone found with additional weapons is automatically disqualified. As you know, the prey has the option of surrendering if he's still undiscovered after the first six hours. But if he chooses to do so, he is penalized by the loss of points in the championship standings and is not eligible for start money. Ron Shannon has never surrendered. So tonight's event promises to be an epic encounter and one that will keep us all glued to our screens well into the AM of tomorrow. And now, an important question. You know the favorite food of endgame champions? Hmm. It's Life Plus. The high-protein energy tablet that tones up your body fibers and maintains your sexual price. Be a man among men. Buy Life Plus. Um, this one, at first, I was like, oh, similar to 1990 Bronx Warriors, this isn't going to be that much of a Mad Max knockoff. No, it is very much the running man. But then, like, the the first act is Running Man, and then the second two acts are Mad Max. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, like, completely shifts gears uh, in, in, when the second act gets going. First one I watched, and I said the same thing. Yeah. Once you get past the first act, which, like, goes quickly, and I was totally like, where is this movie going? I feel like this is the climax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. because. Sure it the the first act of the movie like the first 20 25 minutes is like a very brief version of the movie the running man mm-hmm. in 20 minutes and then you realize oh that's just the setup so we understand that the main character is a badass who competes on a game show where you can actually die right and everyone wears kiss makeup <laughs> yeah there's a lot of face paint in uh, all three of these mm-hmm. movies yes um but I there's digress. no cat. There's no cat faces, though. Peter Chris fans. Unfortunately, no. But everyone else is well represented. <laughs> um, but uh, so the idea in this one is it opens up with a game show called Endgame. I guess this is supposed to be like 25 years in the future from when the movie was made in the early 80s, and there's been a war or so- somehow. Um, is it New York City? Is that where it starts? Yes. Somehow New York City has become like partially irradiated and there are parts of the city that are like bombed out and horrible and there's like people who've become like turned into mutants and then there's parts of this. They say it's a World War Three scenario. Oh, do they? Okay. Um, And then there's parts of the city that I guess are okay. And so to kind of take people's minds off of the horrors of real life, they show them a horror, a horrific reality show where Mm -hmm. basically the premise of the show is they, like, cordon off a section of the city, fill it with cameras, and put a couple camera crews in there. And then they have... I don't remember the terms they had for these people, but they have one Mm -hmm. guy who's, like, the defending champion and is on the run, 
and then you have three guys who are chasing him. And it's not like, you know, prisoners who are forced to fight or something. It seems like these guys do this by choice. Right. Like they've got nothing better to do. Yeah. So you've got um, the main guy, Ron Shannon is the character's name, played by Al Cliver. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of his three guys that is chasing him is a buddy of his who they grew up together. His name is Karnak. <laughs> and uh, they are now rivals. And he's played by a guy named George Eastman, who we'll talk about a little more in a little while. He was also a small part in 1990 Bronx Warriors. Right. Um, and then there's two other guys hunting him. So the first act of the movie is just the game show where it's, you know, nighttime in a bombed out city and three dudes chasing another dude as he like defeats them one by one. Cause Ron Shannon, the most badass name, that guy is like the, the coolest, most badass yeah. dude he's on the won, show. He's won several times. Can't be beat. Yeah. And but then through the process of this uh, this episode of the game show that they're on, uh, he runs into a woman who is one of these mutants. And I guess there's a couple different kind of mutants in this movie. There's ones that just look like normal people, but they have telepathic powers. Right. Check. Yep. And then there is another kind of mutant, which actually is a physical manifestation where it's like people are devolving into animals. Check. So you've got like people with kind of shitty Planet of the Apes style makeup. You've got guys that are like allegedly turning into fish or lizards who have like scales painted on their faces. I'm sure someone ransacked a Planet of the Apes set or warehouse hmm. or something and stole some ape masks. That's kind of what it looked like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the fish people. Mm-hmm. You said that. Were those the only two varieties we really see is like fish yeah. and monkeys? Or apes. <laughs> yep. Fish and monkeys and tele- telepathy. Yeah. And so, like, the people, the the quote-unquote normal people, uh, they don't generally like mutants because, at least the the ones that live in the city, because they their telepathic powers. It's the ho- whole thing that you see in, like, the X-Men movies. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if somebody can see into your mind, then they can, like, make you do whatever they want or whatever. Right. So, Right. Um, they're kind of persecuted. And uh, so this woman comes to the main dude, Ron, during the the episode of the show and says to him, like, hey, uh, myself and a small group of other mutants need to get the hell out of the city. And we want to hire you to, like, protect us and take us 200 miles to another place. And if you do this, you'll be paid a healthy sum of gold. Yep. And that's really all there is to it. So... Ron decides, yes, he's going to do this, and he goes around and he recruits some uh, some other badasses to help him. Mm-hmm. And then they're... It's almost like his recruiting feels almost like the cast of characters from like an early, like say early 90s or late 80s arcade game. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. So you have like, you have Shannon, who's like, not, you know, he's middle strength... And, you know, middle speed. Mm-hmm. Then he meets a ninja. Whose name who is, is Ninja. Named Ninja. So he's fast, but not as strong. Yep. And then you got that big bull bastard. Wasn't, uh, was Ko- I think Kovac was the name of the big guy, wasn't Ko- it? Kovac, yeah. who's like dressed like he came from the set of a Conan movie. Yeah. 
He looks like he stepped out of medieval times. Yep. The restaurant, not your the time. Strong but slow. I mean, it's basically like Final Fight, Fatal Fury, or yeah. any one of those games. I was even thinking as I was watching the movie, it gave me a little bit of a G.I. Joe vibe where they had to have like, oh, you know, all yeah. the different varieties of G.I. <laughs> Joe characters. Yeah. Yeah. Very fitting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he recruits them. They load up in a van with one or two other guys. I think Bull is like the the smaller sidekick dude who rides around on a motorcycle and dies in the uh, like the big fight towards the end of the movie. Yep. There is a huge fight, that giant shootout. Yeah. Um, another example in one of these movies where they were just like, okay, we've reached the point in the film where there's an action scene. Let's just splice together 10 solid minutes of random people falling <laughs> off right. of motorcycles and right. squibs going uh-huh. off. Oh, yeah, just shoot endless yeah. shooting. Mm-hmm. But uh, so but, one the one guy is on top of that van for at least eight minutes, just firing. yeah, just straight up, firing never away. reloading, just firing that machine gun. <laughs> yes. But before we get there, so we're already pretty far into the movie by the time they leave. Um, they do say that they have two days to get where they need to go. They have to be there in two days, um, and they have to go two hundred miles, which is not all that far, all things considered. Right. Um. So they take off in the van. And like a couple of motorcycles or whatever. Um, and they really only have two encounters on the road. The second one is the big one we just mentioned, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But the first one, I actually thought this was kind of a neat interaction. So they come across this town and it seems deserted, but they basically stop the van outside of town and all the badass guys go into town and they're like, we'll check it out. So they get mm-hmm. in there. And then all of these dudes in black robes with, like, their faces covered by hoods come out, and they're chatting them up and, like, hey, are you traders? Like, we'll trade goods. And it all seems very suspicious. And then uh, Ron Shannon lifts the hood on one of them and takes notice that he's blind. I guess we're supposed to assume that they were all blinded by, like, radiation or something since it's the post-apocalypse. Sure. And they do talk about, like, how the lake is, like, irradiated and there's no fish and there used to be happy people here and all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden, all of the the blind dudes in black robes whip out, like, swords and guns and start attacking our character, our main characters. And I was thinking, like, what the hell is going on? How are they doing this? <laughs> and then in kind mm-hmm. of a cool sci-fi twist... Um, Ron Shannon telepathically calls uh, the, um, what's her name, Um, Lilith, the main uh, telepath woman who he met earlier in the movie, who's in the van, like, outside of town. And he's like, "Uh, Lilith, how can they possibly see us? What's going on here? And she's like, they're seeing through somebody else's eyes. They have a prisoner who is a telepath who is telepathically allowing them all to see like what you see, which I thought was a cool idea. Yeah. And then basically Ron Shannon decides, okay, like Lilith, can you tell me where the telepath is? And she's like, yeah, he's up in the top floor of this building across town. So Ron has to go. I thought he was going to try and go like rescue the prisoner. Cause he is a prisoner. Like they're forcing him mm-hmm. to like give them his telepathic visions against his will. 
Mm-hmm. And when he gets up there, he's like all chained up. But no, like it seems like Ron is going to fight and try and rescue him, but then gives up and just chucks a fucking axe into the prisoner's head. <laughs> and as soon as he's yep. dead, all the blind guys can't see anymore. And they just like yeah. are bumbling around like, oh, I can't see. But, I can't see what happened. Yeah. They're suddenly like, oh, where am I? I can't see. I'm blind. Yeah. Hell, we've never been blind before. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I got to be honest, like I thought that was a really cool sequence. Just a neat idea. It was a neat idea and a cool sequence, and they almost had no business in this movie because yeah. it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, just but but I, I just a great idea, like a a, yeah. a whole society of blind people, and they have captured mm-hmm. and imprisoned one guy who can use his telepathy to allow them to see through like sure. what other people are seeing that the telepath is reading their minds from. Like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. a neat idea. It was, and just another long action scene with random like. You know, I'm throwing a grenade and then there's like an explosion goes <laughs> off and two guys in robes jump into the air. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, good times. I liked that stuff. For sure. And then they move on and like almost the next scene is they stop at, uh, I don't know, it's like a little, little rundown, not, not really a town, but like almost looks like it was some kind of warehouse facility or something. I don't exactly know what to call it. Yeah, I mean, that's good enough. And uh, a trap is sprung upon them, and they have like another big action scene. And this is the big one where it's like a ton of dudes on dirt bikes just driving around in circles, firing guns in every direction. Every direction. Endless bullets in the future. Yeah. Yeah, no worries about am- ammo or gasoline or anything in this one. Just. <laughs> No, just killing. Yeah, just living in the post-apocalypse and being yeah. an asshole, basically. Right. Everything's irradiated, so just live your life. Mm-hmm. And this is the point where a fair amount of these bad guys, like not all of them, but a fair amount of them are like the lizard people who <laughs> just have like kind of shitty looking scales painted on their faces. Very, yeah. Uh, ape people. Mm-hmm. But again, just... A reasonably fun little action scene with just a lot of things exploding and catching on fire and people falling off of motorcycles and <laughs> <laughs> just people, you know, doing uh driving around in circles on motorcycles. It just jumps out of nowhere. It's it's as crazy as we make it sound, for sure. Yeah. But also <laughs> maybe I'm just easy to please, but I found it entertaining. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I've got I've got no problem saying I was entertained by all three of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you never know going into something like this. I was thinking to myself, like, man, I'm going to feel bad if Dax hates all of these. Well, I'll tell you. Well, are, have we finished with Endgame? I think there's a little more to say about Endgame. Uh, let's let's continue with Endgame. Okay. Let's... Uh, I mean, we're pretty close to the end of the movie here, but we do have... Uh, so Lilith gets captured... And then the leader of this group of bad guys is like a big, like a big, thick lizard man who mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, rapes her. Oh, yeah. That's and cool. she's like telepathically communicating with Ron at the time. And she's like mm-hmm. lying to him. He's like, I'm seeing strange flashes of color. Is everything okay? And it cuts back to her and she's being raped by this huge lizard man. And she's just like, no, I'm fine. Just don't worry about me. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little much. Uh, and then, und- oh, so, yeah, we forgot to mention completely um, uh, Karnak, the, the the rival, right. the, the childhood mm-hmm. friend slash modern rival of the main character, 
Um, Ron uh, spares his life during the game show. He does. And then Karnak comes back later and uh, saves Ron's life. And he's basically like, we're even. But then he follows them when they leave the city. And he kind of joins up with them halfway. And it's just like, hey, I'm here. I'll help you guys, whatever. Um, you know, I'm not a threat in any way. Don't worry about me maybe wanting to kill mm-hmm. you for some reason or steal all the money <laughs> you're going after. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And uh, so he, Karnak and Ron stick around to rescue Lilith while uh, somebody else gets the uh, the van full of other people to safety. And um, there's that scene where they go in, like, while all the uh, bad guys are sleeping and kind of try and rescue her quietly. And then uh, the big dude of their team, the bruiser, who I believe was named Kovac, um, the bad guys have cemented him into the wall. <laughs> Oh God! I almost glossed over this. How could I forget? <laughs> like, what are those things called? It's like, uh, like the old timey like torture oh, device guillotine? or whatever. Hmm? Oh, guillotine. It's not a guillotine. It's that thing where like they would put you in town square and people would throw tomatoes at you or whatever, and it it just like locked your head and your two wrists in it, so you were oh, stuck there. Right, right, right. Um, right. um, I don't know. Whatever that thing is called, they basically did that to him, but. By cementing every part of his body except for his hands and his head into yeah. the wall. That's some ruthless shit, Mills. I know. And it's like in their, in their inner sanctum, like in their bedroom where they're all sleeping, they just have a dude's head and hands hanging out of the wall. Right, right. And he's like, uh, he telepathically through Lilith says like, please kill me. <laughs> and then Karnak goes over and just like slowly twists his head and breaks his neck. Like twists his head all the way around. Yeah. So that literally the way that the bad guys wake up and discover what's happened is there was a dude sleeping on the floor underneath of the head and hands hanging out of the wall. And Karnak Mm -hmm. twisted his head so far that he like tore the flesh on his neck and he bled on the guy sleeping on the floor and that woke the guy up. And then he Mm -hmm. like sounds the alarm and everybody attacks and you think, well, I don't think anybody thought that Karnak was dead, but the characters think that he is. Right, right. And so they go to the final meeting, which is in just like, it almost looks like a quarry somewhere for the final action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, it's got to be. Yeah, it's hands down a quarry. Yeah. A quarry with no permit to fill. Mm-hmm. It's just like rock walls on all sides. And uh, so this is where they're supposed to meet whoever the hell's coming to meet them. And all of a sudden, the police from the city show up in like their riot gear and try and take all the mutants and... Uh, the surviving characters into custody. A couple people get shot. And then at some point around this time, we learn that the little boy who is with uh, all the telepaths actually has telekinesis. And Mm -hmm. they say, hey, kid, go carry on their asses. And he's just like making boulders fall down the rock walls on people and catching people on fire and lifting vehicles in the air and squashing people. Just out of the blue. Gives them the business. Yeah. Big time. Just not expecting this to happen at all. Nope. And this, wow, it didn't occur to me before, but all three of these movies have super abrupt endings. Because do you remember the way this one ends? I don't. (laughs) So a helicopter comes to take away all the people that uh, Ron has delivered to uh, where they need to be. They give. I just watched this yesterday (laughs) and I already forget. They give him a big box full of gold bars. 
And then they're like, Lilith is like, you can come with us. And he's like, baby, you're the future and I'm the past. I don't belong with you or whatever. So they take off in the helicopter and uh, Ron is about to pick up the box of gold. And all of a sudden someone shoots at him and me and everybody else watching the movie was like, oh, well, obviously Karnak isn't dead. Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember. So Karnak rolls into the, uh, like the, the quarry and they're standing Mm -hmm. there with the box of gold between them. And they both like throw down their guns and I think they both pull out knives and then they kind of give each other a knowing glance of like, well, friend, it's time for one of us to die. And they charge at each other screaming and it freeze frames before they get to one another. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end. (laughs) You got to love it. Yeah. Like a little disappointing that we didn't get to see the fight, but in a manner of speaking, perfect ending to this movie. It's absolutely. (laughs) I mean, because at that point. I don't want to see either of them die, Mills. Yeah, I guess so. You know? I mean, I I wasn't emotionally invested enough in everything to be like, oh, I have to see how this plays out. So it was enough just to be like, oh, you silly fucking Italian low-budget filmmakers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You silly maniacs. Yeah. Um, Real quick before we wrap everything up, uh, get into some of the cast and director here. So this mm-hmm. film was directed by a guy named uh, Joe D'Amato. Yes. Uh, he went under the name Stephen Benson. Again, I don't know why they all used aliases. Of course. Right. But uh, Joe D'Amato, I'm familiar with. He has directed a shitload of horror movies. Mm. Um, <clears throat> one of which I know very well called Anthropophagus that came out in 1980. Yes. <laughs> and so George Eastman, the guy that's in this in 1990 Bronx Warriors who played... Karnak, the rival in this one, um, he plays the anthropophagus, which I think anthropophagy, if I remember correctly, it's something to do with cannibalization. That's a real word. Yeah. Um, okay. And so that movie is about basically a guy was on a boat. I think he might've been on a life raft or something and- as time went on and him and the other people in the life raft were like getting hungry cause they didn't have any food. And the guy, they were just like exposed to the sun all the time. And his brain was just being like baked by the sun. He just started cannibalizing the other people in the raft with him and went completely insane. And then his boat washes up ashore and he just basically is, his skin is all disgusting from being like chapped by the sun. And he's just, completely insane doesn't speak just like wide-eyed nutcase who is now just like a cannibal and he like cannibalizes this entire little village and then some people show up uh for like a little vacation on this island not knowing what's happening and then this guy like just slowly like kills them all (laughs) Mm -hmm. um fun little jaunt um all right but in addition to anthropophagus and the pseudo sequel to that absurd um he directed five or more of the Emmanuel film series. Are you familiar with Emmanuel at all? Not even a little bit. Emmanuel was a French novel. Uh, I can't remember what the title of the novel was, but they made a series of films based on it. And it was basically like pseudo mainstream softcore porn movies. Um, just about a woman like exploring her sexuality. And uh, they were like, chopped up in other countries because of the graphic content. I want to say I read that only in France and America were they shown uncut. And uh, 
this is a lasting, enduring franchise. They made like seven of the original films, but then there have been so many like TV series and other movie franchises based on it. There's even a series called Emmanuel in Space. Um, so yeah, it, it's a whole thing. Go and read the Wikipedia sometime. You will be fascinated. Okay. But uh, he directed a couple of those. And in addition to those, he's known for directing a lot of like erotic horror movies. Uh, a couple of the titles of which include Porno Holocaust and The Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main guy, Al Cliver, was in uh, uh, Zombie, Lucio Fulci's Zombie. Oh, really? Yep, which was the Italian like pseudo sequel to Dawn of the Dead, like unofficial sequel. Mm-hmm. The movie that everybody knows because there's a zombie that fights a shark. Right, right. Um, it's one claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Lilith, the telepathic woman in this, was in eight or more Emmanuel films in addition to pretty much every movie Joe D'Amato ever directed, it seems. Okay. Um. Oh, this one I thought was interesting. Uh, I did not recognize him, but did you recognize the dude who played Ninja, the Asian dude? No. Uh, he's been in some recent stuff like Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and, Ro- well, he was in Robot Jocks, which you and I are both a fan of. Mm. He was in Life Aquatic? Mm-hmm. He was like a pirate or something. Uh, he, huh. he had a role in Zoolander 2. Here's the one that's going to blow your mind, though. Okay. He plays Yoshida in The Wolverine. The uh, the soldier that what? Wolverine saves from the atomic blast, and then like, yeah, that's this dude. That's Ninja no from fucking way. Endgame. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, he's still around. He's still acting, and he's been in an absolute ton of shit. To imagine rolling up on him and being like, "Oh, I love your movies. I loved you as Ninja in Endgame." <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh man. Um. Wow. But yeah, George Eastman, the guy who played Karnak, who I mentioned was in Anthropophagus, um, mm-hmm. he's been in a ton of stuff. He was in a Django movie in 1967. He also has directed a couple of films himself, and he's written a ton of stuff. He was a writer. He wrote like 40 movies or something. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, yeah, that... Uh, oh, also, I guess uh, the dude who played the professor who was along with the group for a while before he died... Um, mm-hmm. He had a tiny part in uh, Inferno, the Da Vinci Code movie, recently. Wow. Out of the blue. A lot of connections. Yeah, that's my favorite thing to do with these really obscure movies, yeah. is just find out what bit parts different people have played mm-hmm. and stuff. But <laughs> Yoshida was an actual character, like, with a lot of dialogue oh. and, like, importance oh, to the story in Wolverine. Wow. it's amazing. Yeah. Good job, Bills. Thanks. You know, it took me, like, 20 minutes of... Sure. Googling, yeah. but whatever. So can I can I touch on something please, with these three movies? Touch touch it all. Touch everything. We gotta talk about these movie posters. Oh, yeah. There's some good ones. I mean that regardless of what content is in your movie, it lives and dies by the movie poster slash VHS box cover. Yes. And I will say, I love all three of oh, them. Oh yeah. There's nothing not to love. There's really not. Uh Endgames is probably the least fitting of the movie. <laughs> yeah, because nobody ever wears that costume. No, but it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's basically like 
I'm going to say a football player from Atlantis. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, is standing over someone in a net while some crazy looking uh, like dune buggy is coming at him in the background. Uh-huh. Doesn't he have like but spiked I, knuckles on his glove? He's got like spiked knuckles, but he's holding something that's like. Spikes on each end and then spike knuckles. And then he's got a weird looking spear thing. Yeah. Lots of football. Lots of uh, like airbrushed glints of light coming off of his outfit. Oh, big time. So we've got that, which is glorious. Uh, Let's see. Exterminators of the year 3000. That's like you're looking down some kind of weird hexagonal tunnel or something. Yeah, like say if you were like crawling out of uh, some futuristic building and it just happened to be three characters standing in front of you. Yeah. I also think it's glorious. Oh, it's a beautiful painting. Yeah. Um, It's very fitting. You know, the one thing I don't like about it is it gives away that the kid's got the robot arm. Oh, I didn't take notice of that. Mm -hmm. But then you've got uh, Alien and Trash all there. I'm sure that their real concern with that poster was, we'd better show people that the kid has the robot arm because that might make someone actually want to see the movie instead of keeping <laughs> it a secret. I mean, it was great the way we discovered it. Right. Just watching yeah. the movie and all of a sudden being like, they ripped that fucking kid's arm off. Mm-hmm. And then you got your 1990 The Bronx Warriors and you've got our boy Trash <laughs> uh, coming towards you on the motorcycle. It's not exactly what the motorcycles are in the movie. Yeah. But close enough. And it's actually got, uh, which is something I forgot to touch on in the movie, is that they have like retractable knives oh, right. on their bikes. Mm-hmm. So one guy gets it like hard in the face. <laughs> yes, he does. During the movie. But another glorious 80s painting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't think he's got one in the movie, but Trash is like swinging a ball and chain. Maybe. <laughs> no, definitely doesn't. <laughs> while he's on a motorcycle. I mean, I'll say this. Uh, if nothing else, like whether or not you want to see these movies, um, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming most people probably don't. We may have convinced somebody, though. Maybe. Um, that uh, inst- or, yeah, the, um, the letterboxed list that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. go look that up. Again, it's called Mad Maxploitation, Pounding Sand in the Post-Apocalypse. Just Google Maxploitation and it's the first hit. Just click on it just to look at all the posters because they are all amazing. I mean, we here at Triple Threat love a ridiculous movie poster. Yeah. Yearn for the days of of painted artwork for movie posters instead of just Photoshop collages. And I'm going to say I'll always love when it's so far and away the quality of the poster is better than the movie or it's flat out just something that's not even in the movie. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not even sure which one's my favorite because I think, well, I think it's between Endgame and 1990 Bronx Warriors for me because yeah, the painting Extermi- for Exterminators Ex- is good, but it's just not as interesting a visual. Right, it's good and it's like it clearly uh, showcases the main characters, but it's just not as good as 1990. Yeah, and then I just think endgame one is the best even though it has a character not even seen in the movie it's just that good it is one of those things where you watch the film then you look at the poster and think i'd like to see that movie right yeah but i guess if you really wanted to you could just go watch the running man also true (laughs) 
itself. Yeah, great, great examples of some solid movie poster action here. All right, let's say box art because I'm not even sure. sure yeah, either way, posters. promotional artwork, either way, promotional materials, either way, glorious. Mm. So I had mentioned before that I was concerned going into this before I watched mm. the movies that uh, you may hate all three and that I would feel bad. So, well, did you hate all I three? Can rem- <laughs> I can remember at the time when you suggested it, but there's never. You remember better than I did if there's anything we we're contentious about with any trifectas we picked. No. But there's been one I or two not- that for weirdo reasons, one or the other has uh, turned down mm-hmm. just because it doesn't meet like stupid guidelines we made for ourselves or something. <laughs> right. Stupid things we've made to limit ourselves in weird ways that no one would ever call us yeah. on. Yeah, or if like, you know, one of us comes up with an, uh, a list and then we've already got one of the movies used elsewhere and then we have to course correct, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy going. So, I, there's rarely an instance where anybody gets turned down. So when you initially mentioned these, I was not worried at all. When it came <laughs> well, time good. to watch them, I was like, I was like, am I ready for this? <laughs> Because once you told me there were a couple of them were on Amazon, I remember looking at, I'm not even sure, I think Endgame, because I watched Endgame first. I looked at that one first, and I went, I was like, oh, I was like, am I emotionally ready for this? <laughs> I was like, is this is this the episode where just things go off the rails? Where you hate yourself and me for having to watch three movies? And I was like, yeah, well, I was like, they're short. I mean, I ain't going to play hate on any movie, because <laughs> you never know. I mean, I like some weird shit, so. Yeah, you know, my favorite movies goes dark for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> who am I to say anything? Milsey, not only did I not hate these three movies, I found enjoyment in all three of them. Excellent. You know, once once you're hunkered down, and like I knew what I was ready for. You know, I was like in it to win it. Because it's not these ones. I'll say. You grade these on a curve. That's <laughs> oh, probably the best, the best for sure. The best way. So, with that said, this was an enjoyable episode for me, for sure. I'm glad to hear because I was a little mm-hmm. concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it certainly helped. I said I did Endgame, 1990, then Exterminators, mm-hmm. and got through Endgame, got into Bronx Warriors, and then Fred Williamson showed up, and I was like, okay, I'm in good hands. <laughs> nice. So I'm glad it all worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shall we go ahead and attempt to rank? Mm, get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. By borrow burn time. It is. Um, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? What would you like? Milsey? This was your, your pick. You know, I'll go first. Um, okay. cause I know what I, I'm good right now, regardless of what you're, I mean, I always know what I'm picking anyways. Sure. But. Sure. I have my picks. I feel like I never know ahead of time. And like in the moment, like right now, I'm trying to decide. Oh, really? I was pretty sure what my order would be, but wasn't completely settled on it. I Um, think the only time I just real quickly, the only time I can really think that it was like kind of down to the wire offhand was monkey business. (laughs) Yeah. So. I I was pretty certain about that one myself at the time. But. I digress. Um, I think I am going to, I'm, this may sound crazy. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm very curious because I don't know what you're going to pick right now. I really don't. 
I think I'm going to borrow Endgame. I'm going to buy Exterminators of the Year 3000, and I'm going to burn 1990 The Bronx Warriors. Okay. Which, I mean, Exterminators of the Year 3000 is the one where we were like, man, we don't have a lot to say about it. But I just remember while I was sitting watching it, I was like enjoying it so much. Like just the simplicity, and it is like a huge knockoff of road warrior but like the silliness of like the characters are named alien and trash and it's just like fucking cars flipping over in the desert and mm-hmm. um just the simple like hey we're going for water there's elements of end game that i like a lot but the plot is a little more complicated and a little less uh like direct and simple um mm-hmm. and it almost feels like two movies split into two uh, or, or two movies combined into one. Yep. Um, there's elements I really love, like the the blind cultists with the um, telepathy. And then 1990 Bronx Warriors, while it's got a lot of great, like, dressing on it, like the character names and the silliness of it, I think just the plot of that one I was the least interested in. And that was also the one that was, like, the least, like, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic which is what I kind of went into all three of these like looking for since mm-hmm. they were all like in the Mad Max category. Yep. But um yeah, I mean, I enjoyed them all three on a pretty even level just you know, we have to buy something, borrow something and burn something and that's the way it that's broke it. down for me. That's how the game works. Wow. Let me say, for a moment there, I thought we were going to link up. <laughs> But, alas, it couldn't be more different. I'm going to burn Endgame. Oh! (laughs) Borrow Exterminators and buy 1990. Wow. The Bronx Warriors. I'm a little surprised. Me too, Mills. I'll say, Endgame, like I said, I enjoyed all three. Endgame is, like, overly complicated. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there is, in fact, somehow too much going on. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like future game show, and then you've got mutants, and then you've got telepathy, and then you've got yeah, like the blind people, and this mission just, that they're on, and it was the, too the much. rival bad all, guy. <laughs> I think also being the first one I watched maybe had an effect on that, because I remember in the first act with the game show, Mm-hmm. I just felt like they were running around in like the same two tunnels the entire time. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they were. Yeah. And just like the kiss makeup. And I was just like, I was like, I'm just not with it. <laughs> and it got better once it opened up. Mm-hmm. But then again, it was just like scene to scene to scene, far too complicated. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum, Exterminators is not complicated. Yeah. But it's. I loved it for even in the fact that it sounds bad to say it's the most blatant Mad Max ripoff. Yeah. Something but I like is, about that. This, me too. And this is the movie I was expecting. Yeah. Same here. So I enjoyed it for that. There's just some, you know, some of the, like the, there's ridiculous, completely ridiculous things happen in all three of these movies. Mm-hmm. But I felt like this one kind of had the most like out of left field things. Yeah. Like the kid getting his arm ripped off. <laughs> For and, sure. You know, the crazy maiming in action and just, this even, I even have my notes here. This, at one point early in like, I think in the first scene of Exterminators, 
they like zoom in tight on this one guy getting his legs run over. Yeah, they do. You know that part? And mm-hmm. I was just like, man. Ooh, I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be that one of those kind of movies. They sure enough, it. it was. They went for it. Totally. So I commend it for that. I could see. I could see borrowing that to watch again at some point. Mm-hmm. Then you get to 1999, the Bronx Warriors. Like you said, is different than the other two. It's the least like Mad Max. It's very much more the Warriors than anything. Oh, 100%. But, man, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I just thought it was like funny and goofy, which sometimes I'm into, sometimes I'm not. But I was just, by the time I had watched Endgame and then I got to this, I was thinking, and just this one opens with the skate hooligans. And I was like, okay. I was like. (laughs) I, I I see where this is going, and then the you know bikers versus the hot rodders. Fred Williams shows up, and then I think what really did it was just Hammer. He's <laughs> so crazy as a villain. Yeah, and you know just him playing off of everything, and just how ridiculous the movie is. How it ends so abruptly, just every bit of it I enjoyed. Hey man, that's fair. That's how it works. Here's my question for you then. Hit it. There is a sequel. Are you going to mm. watch Escape the Bronx? I would. <laughs> I don't know when I'll be ready to, but I would. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So that's it, Mills. Just, you know, again, while we were talking about him, I was like, I don't know what Mills he's into here. Yeah. It's weird. Like I say, I, uh, I feel like I kind of dumped on the one that I liked the most while I watched it on the show. And mm-hmm. I feel like I praised the one that I enjoyed the least while i was watching it the most <laughs> right uh and then endgame just kind of stayed in the middle but um that's how these things work isn't it yeah like i say i they would these would probably all get the same star rating for me so it was really you know it was a tight yeah. race fair enough uh are you ready to uh pick our next trio oh Millsy, you know i am and we have a an exciting little announcement to make about the next we episode do. Milzy, tell the people. Uh, next episode, episode nine of Triple Threat Theater, we're going to have our first guest host. We are. Uh, this gentleman has agreed to join us and talk about any three movies that our random number generator ends up on here in a moment. Mm-hmm. And that brave soul is uh, none other than Tony Sedani, friend of yours and mine. He is. A fellow uh, cinephile. Mm-hmm. Big fan, accomplished artist himself. He will be... Stepping in on the uh, poster duties. That's right. Uh, he's He actually asked if he could, and you and I were both like, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, yeah. You are, can draw your own poster for your episode. So. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. Give one of us a rest for a week. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it where we can. <clears throat> so With uh, that. Let's find out what Tony's going to have to watch. And as I hit... We have 175 categories right now. The list just keeps on growing. Good to go. Generate and 62. Oh, 62, Millsy. Early. All right. Oh. <laughs> the theme for this episode is pull up your socks. <laughs> oh, boy. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to this. As I am with I, most of our themes, but. I think people can figure this one out. Probably, yeah. It's not the most clever or uh, obtuse title we've come up with, but... No, but it's very fitting. Oh, yeah. So. All right, people. All right, Tony. 
<laughs> yeah, tell me. Get ready. Get ready to enter our Thunderdome. <laughs> Get ready to pull <laughs> up your socks. Mm-hmm. Well, Mills. It's been episode eight. It has. It's a pleasure. As always. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jody Axberger. I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.